I think it's a big, messy moment. And it may be that Spotify coming into this is ultimately going to be good for a lot of types of people and that it may actually make the ecosystem more robust and have people make more money and give people more choice. And maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon. From Elias Studios, this is Servant of Pod. I'm Nick Kwa. Hank Green knows what happens when something unique and quirky grows up to be something else. As a veteran YouTuber, he's seen how that platform evolved from a weird wonderland into a vast machine of content and commerce. Hank is also a podcaster, making shows like Dear Hank and John and SciShow Tangents. He sees podcasting right now as similar to YouTube's early days. And he doesn't necessarily want to see that change. In a recent op-ed for The Washington Post, he wrote, quote, It's a decentralized, hacked-together, open system. And as a podcaster and a listener, I think it works perfectly. I remember when this kind of happened to YouTube, and ultimately what it meant was that it felt a little less like home, but it was open to a lot more people. And it was an option. It was a place for more people. You know, me wanting that not to happen was, you know, in some ways me wanting things to stay the same, but in some ways it was me wanting to deny it to other people. Hank Green on what happens when big money hits a young community. Throughout his work, Hank Green has been consistently drawn to building communities. His passion for bringing people together started in 2007 with a vlog that he made with his big brother, the author John Green. Called Brotherhood 2.0, the brothers vowed to stop all forms of communication except for their daily vlogs, which they posted on YouTube. Good morning, John. It's January 5th and I'm sitting in my basement, back home, surrounded by all the things I love. I love orange juice. I love Mental Floss Magazine and Benjamin Franklin. Before Brotherhood 2.0, the brothers spoke maybe once or twice a year. Now, they talk every single day. They developed a big following, and they called those fans nerd fighters. They'd host meetups around the country, and those meetups turned into conferences. Most notably, VidCon, the largest online video conference in the world. For a person who primarily makes stuff over the internet, building spaces where people feel connected to each other is remarkably important to him. Oh, I think it's, I mean, for me, it's um, the meaning of life uh, to some <laughs> extent. So, yeah, I mean, it's like like the, 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 the big thing where I think that I'm happier when I have people who I love things with and I am happy to be able to provide that service to other people and we are headed into a world and increasingly are in a world where there is less community and more loneliness and that is extremely unhealthy, like actually unhealthy for people's uh, bodies and also unhealthy, I think, societally and ultimately leads to searching for meaning in ways that are not community. And a lot of those can be, not all of them, but a lot of them can be destructive. Um, So 
it's not just like something that I really enjoy. It's something that I really think is vital to the long-term stability of humans and like individual prospering. Um, Mm. We are a communal species. We are, um, you know, we are obviously individuals, but I think that any robust understanding of humans recognizes that we are sort of collective first, individual second. Hank Green is prolific, usually working on three or four projects at a time. Right now, he has four podcasts, he has a book coming out, and I'm sure he has more stuff in a pipeline that I don't know about. It's a lot. Uh, I mean, I'm not great at it. Um, (laughs) It's always been a combination of two things, like what is the thing I'm most excited about and what is the obligation that I am most not fulfilling. Mm. And sometimes those are the same thing. Like sometimes the thing that I am have like obliged myself to do to people who I love and respect is also something that I am really excited about doing, but oftentimes it is not. Where my excitement comes from is actually something I'm trying to be more mindful of because sometimes I think that the excitement comes from, you know, that fuel is coming from unhealthy places, Mm. but sometimes it's not. And I need to recognize the difference between those things. Could you explore that a little bit more? Because I feel like I'm struggling with the same thing. Um, I feel like most often than not, my my own productivity comes from sort of an anxiety of like not being able to do something or like not realizing something. Um, how do you listen to yourself? Um, you listen. <laughs> it's, and like, it's not easy right now. I think that one way is to treat yourself like a person. And, you know, if my wife is talking to me, I should be listening to her. So in the same way, I should also be respecting myself and listening to myself. And part of the reason is that it's become more important that I do that because, you know, one, I have a lot of obligations and, you know, being excited about something, drawing me into doing it might make it harder to fulfill those obligations. But yeah, I think that the main thing is listening and like understanding that my own health counts as productivity. You know, there's like sort of a cult of productivity in some areas of of business. And, you know, I came to the conclusion and actually wrote it into my most recent novel that like my own happiness, my own joy, my own health are all parts of productivity. Not that like they help me be more productive, but they are productive. Productions. Like hmm. that is stuff that I am producing. I am making stability in my life. I'm making joy for myself. I'm making, I, I have a chronic illness, so I also have to pay a lot of attention to that. And so I'm like, hmm. I'm making a future where my body is healthier for longer. And all those things are things that I'm, I'm making and they count as productivity. When you think back on all the work that you've done so far, what are you most proud about? Probably Crash Course. So we have this show on YouTube that teaches mostly late high school, early college stuff, though some into like mid-level college work. And so it's we've got like anatomy and physiology, world history, chemistry, all kinds of stuff. We have an artificial intelligence course, a business course. As entrepreneurs, we have control over how we grow our companies so we can be successful on our own terms. And sometimes our business gets out of hand and we have to face our worst nightmare, failure. Or is that just my worst nightmare? (laughs) I'm working on it. So let's grow together or decide to keep doing what we're doing and face down failure. I'm Anna Akana. This is Crash Course Business Entrepreneurship. 
And that is the thing that I am most often stopped for on the street. And people mm. don't, instead of saying like, I love your stuff. So this is like a, this is a, a thing that I'm aware of. I am placing extra value on this because it's harder to explain away. <laughs> and so when like somebody stops me on the street and they're like, I love your YouTube stuff so much. I kind of, there's a part of me that like tries to explain that away as there's just like, you would have found something to love, you know, You'd, and, and like, I'm, it just happens to be that I'm the thing that you found to love. Like our content is, is like a thing that you found community in, but you could have found it in, in music. You would have found it in something. And so I'm explaining it away that way. But with Crash Course, it's people who are like, hey, thanks for helping me pass my anatomy and physiology class in nursing school. I'm a nurse now. I'm like, that's really hard to explain away. It feels really good. I just like helped a person get a job that they like. And also I help there be more nurses in the world, which is like something that we desperately need. And yeah, the the, the stop is always very brief. And it's like, oh, hey, they, they're not even like, it's not even like they're excited to see me. It's like they're <laughs> stating a fact. And I'm like, like oh, I believe that you. guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I feel like what's what's pretty striking in, in the like, your responses in the past five, ten minutes is this notion of like, you're creating ways to, to not let you wiggle out of something. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 That, that's been the most motivating thing in my life, my whole life. And mm. I don't. I don't know if this is just not the case for other people, or if they're just not honest about it. But it's I mean, definitely it's, it's the case the for me. It's the same for me. But I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of people like this. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> what Hank saw with YouTube weighs heavy on how he sees things, and so you can't blame him for asking. Will podcasting go the way of YouTube? More in a minute. Hank Green was there during the early days of YouTube, and he watched it evolve into the machine that it is today. I asked him if he feels a sense of deja vu, whether he thinks big corporations are taking the creativity out of podcasting. Yeah, in, in my experience, what, what I actually see is that's the perception, but not the reality. So the mm. perception is that the sameness comes in and that the weirdness goes away. But what actually happens is that the sameness comes in and then like the big bang theory of podcasts whatever that is and i'm not gonna like name any names but we've all got sort of our thoughts behind that so these like super popular kind of bland things show up and like are much more interesting to you know the people that we as nerds might consider like the basics sort of like normies and you know all of this is kind of bs right because like this is just our own like uh, struggling through our middle school memories of being bullied uh, as adults, which we should get over. But like, there's this boring, like boring shit comes out and like takes over and like floats to the top and it's going to be like lowest common denominator stuff. But that doesn't mean that there's not interesting stuff. It just means that like what we tend to look at is like the five most popular things. Hmm. And then all the stuff below that might be getting like, you know, millions of downloads 
is still thriving. It's just not as big as the biggest things. And so the biggest things tend to define not necessarily even the culture, but how like the broad culture understands that medium. And, you know, music is the best example of this. Like there are hundreds of thousands or millions of working musicians just in America, you know, and some of them, like most of them probably have other jobs also. And a few of them, a very few of them are billionaires, you know? Yeah. So when, like, there was this period of time when, like, YouTubers were starting to make real money and reporters would always ask me, Hank, how much money do YouTubers make? Or, like, who gets paid most in the YouTube? Like, that person right there. And it was, like, the Mm. grossest question ever. But, like, the point is that, like, Lady Gaga makes a bunch of money. But, like, look at, or don't look right now, but, you know, (laughs) six months ago, look at your local theater and see, like, all of the bands that are performing there and know that you've not heard of any of them, but they are all going to have plenty of people coming out paying money to go watch them because Mm. music is really distributed and that's how it should be. And video has become, used to be very not distributed because we were sort of stuck and radio is the same way. We're stuck like with limited bandwidth, we're stuck in limited spectrums and like that we're stuck with, with like high production values, Video and audio have have opened up to allow there to be all of this space, like really fragmented. And if there is a vector toward anything that's not really a cycle, it's toward fragmenting audience. And that's, I think, really good because it means that there's fewer shows that are sort of lowest common denominator and more things that are being made specifically for people who have like more niche interests. The other vector is toward providing for a, a audience first ecosystem where yeah. the first thing you care about is the experience of the audience. I think that that might end up being a little less the case in podcasting because the content is long whereas in video, you know, you end up with these platforms where like they really care only about the experience that the audience has because the creators are there to get access to the audience so that everybody sort of agrees like serve the audience first. And you see like the ultimate manifestation of that in TikTok where it's just like, it's not at all designed to optimize the income or the stability or the happiness of creators. It's there to optimize the ease with which you consume content. Right. I think that podcasts in this case are different, are an exception because I don't really that often want a new podcast because I'm comfortable with the ones that I like. And there is enough of them that I, you know, I haven't even listened to every episode of 99% Invisible. And like, that's inexcusable because they're all fantastic. And, but like, I just don't have the time. So there's always more great content for me to consume. It's kind of like books a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. and And stuff that I'm already comfortable with. Exactly. Shortly after Spotify announced its $100 million exclusive deal with Joe Rogan, Hank wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post, expressing concern that podcasting might go the way of YouTube. Less creator-friendly, less free. You know, my concern generally is that, like, podcasts are this, like, beautiful last bastion of the open internet where we put them in, you know, like, I can host my own podcast, I can create my own podcatcher. Like, the architecture of podcasts is kind of clunky and old and it has its problems and it's it's ways in which it doesn't maybe work as smoothly as it would if it were all sort of controlled by one big company but it allows for it to be weirder and more accessible and the fact that it is controlled by no one is something that I 
I actually really like about it. And I worry that, you know, anybody might look at that and say, well, let's let's take that and try and have it be our thing, where we are the ones who monetize it. We are the ones who create the best platform for drawing audience attention to something and also cre- like sort of extracting the value and turning that into to money through dynamically inserted ads. I could see that happening. And when I'm trying to imagine the, the world in which podcasts lose that open nature, to me, Spotify is the, is the one who's clearly most interested in it, but mm-hmm. also probably most able to do it. I think it would be hard. I think it might not happen. I think it might happen sort of in demographically se- segmented ways, but I think that they have the best chance of doing it. I know that plenty of companies would want to. Right. And so you wrote a um, quote, my guess, and I'm hardly alone, is that Spotify wants to become to podcast what YouTube is for video simply mm-hmm. the default platform for both listeners and creators, and that should worry people in both those groups, uh, end quote. So walk me through why a YouTubeification, for lack of a better word, is bad necessarily. Just to sort of lay out the, the argumentation. Well, uh, the, the basics are that when you make content on a platform that is in control of audience and control of monetization, mm-hmm. we are limited to making the things that they want us to make. The sort of most obvious example of this is at some point, YouTube really started to push watch time and Mm. they really started to reward content that kept people on the site longer. And that meant that people started to make much longer YouTube videos and suddenly went from a world where the average YouTube video was five minutes or less to the average YouTube video being 10 minutes or more, oftentimes 20, 30, 40 minutes. And that's a very different world. Like the algorithm, what the algorithm was choosing to promote affected the kind of content that people made. Mm. And that meant that people who are making stuff that creatively worked best as shorter form content Mm -hmm. weren't able to continue their careers, basically. Like that stuff just more or less stopped existing. In those worlds where you basically say like what the platform wants decides what content gets made, you lose like certain audiences don't get served, certain creators don't get audience, certain right. kinds of content just don't exist. And I, like, I just like a world where the only people involved in whether or not content is being created are the people creating it and the people consuming it. And the sort of intermediary there deciding what content is best for monetization or best for the platform or best for whatever arbitrary goal they may have now that they might not have in five years is a a scarier prospect because I want people to make things for people, not for algorithms. Right. Uh, So I think one of the counter arguments, my sense is, is that like, you know, I think Spotify would try to come in and and be and argue like, well, we're not, we don't want to make anybody do anything. Like we just want to give tools to everybody. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a sort of, everybody's the hero in their own story. Right. But so what are we really looking at? Are we talking, are we, is this like a cultural thing? Does this happen more softly as opposed to something mm. that happens more, more concretely? Like how would we know if the sort of poor outcomes that you're worried about happens? Well, and my, my other big concern is that content starts to only be available through Spotify and not because Spotify has it exclusively, but because right. it just, there are little reasons why your content might be more successful if you upload exclusively to Spotify. Right. And that might be, you know, access to monetization tools. It might also be access to audience. And so what the world looks like in this future that I'm afraid of is that Spotify becomes the default platform for podcasts. And so you can't 
get a podcast through a normal RSS feed. So basically the Apple Podcasts app becomes, you know, a place where some but not all podcasts are available. And that's like not just one or two podcasts that have been licensed exclusively by Spotify, but also lots of podcasts who are like, well, it's just not worth the trouble or the extra expense of my my Libsyn account to to do that because Spotify like hosts it all for free and they monetize the stuff and like all this is done very easily. And so so that's kind of the, the when I say like an analog to YouTube, the stuff that Spotify is doing with Joe Rogan and Kim Kardashian, and that's to me analogous to Netflix. Like this is stuff that is big budget and we've got these shows that are going to draw people into the Spotify ecosystem. What is analogous to YouTube is this much less talked about acquisition of Anchor and all of the tools to make podcasts more easily and get them into Spotify very simply. Mm. And what that might mean is like if, if Spotify controls the creation systems, which YouTube doesn't really do, but TikTok, for example, does a great job of that. Right. Instagram to a lesser extent, but I think that YouTube is is interested in it, um, where the creation system is controlled by the platform. So this is how you make the stuff. The monetization is owned by the platform. And then for all creators and and creatives, the the most important thing is access to audiences owned by the platform. And so instead of in in podcasts where we have this very word of mouth based, non-algorithmic serving of content, Hmm. Spotify could start to find ways to get ears on podcasts through algorithmic recommendations that then give Spotify this sort of tremendous amount of power and means right. that you kind of can't uh, have a successful podcast unless you are interfacing really deeply with Spotify's ecosystem. Right. I guess one of the other kind of arguments then is that we have seen at least a softer version of this with Apple already, um, given yeah. the fact that, you know, majority of podcast listening up until this point has been on uh, facilitated over the Apple podcast platform and mm-hmm. that you know you know the charts and the editorial front pages ends mm-hmm. up being you know soft kingmakers almost in, in right. when it comes to podcasts and so so how do you sort of see that countering argument and what does it make a difference compared to Spotify yeah i think it's a, a question of degrees and i i think you're right that those spaces you know are extremely important and also are human curated that that sort of front page, which is in my experience how a lot of um, success comes in podcasting. Mm. To me, that's not better. Like the, those human curations are, are often like very they can be pretty nepotistic. It's about who you know and yeah. and sort of like what company you're making your podcast with can sort mm-hmm. of like influence how, how you show up on those pages. That's not better. But what I'm afraid of is that like this isn't. Apple competing with Spotify, competing with Pocket, competing with like a bunch of different apps and and structures that like Spotify is playing this game to build a monopoly. And that's the thing that I'm really afraid of is is like monopolies are are, tend to not be great for creators um, and they tend to sort of isolate all of the power. Yeah, I mean, that's I feel like that's the thing that is fundamentally different. And despite the fact that we have heard a lot about Spotify over the past year and a half, we are, I still get a sense that we still don't know what the end game is supposed to look like. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And, and I don't think that we will for another five or 10 years. And I don't even know that Spotify knows. I just think that Spotify is thinking, well, music is great and it's a really important thing for us. But we are not about music. We're about ears, you know. And I think that that's a really smart decision. Like for full disclosure, I own stock in Spotify and have for a very long time. And I think that they are a really great company. 
to own stock in. I just like, as a podcaster, as a person who loves this space, I really want there to be a diverse ecosystem of lots of different ways that people get their audio content. And so there's lots of options for creators, lots of options for listeners. And I, like that just tends to be the, the way that like the most interesting things happen. Uh, right. And it is just also tends to be not the way that most of the money gets made. I guess the one last counter argument that has stuck with me, and it's something that I, I, I feel like I haven't been able to get around, is this argument that like, you know, monopolies have their uses in the sense that it will increase or improve the capacity for some, maybe not all podcasters to make money. Mm -hmm. um, the other version of that argument is that like things in podcasting were pretty inefficient beforehand. It was it was a pretty mm -hmm. rough experience, you know, having you know just launched this podcast, even the experience of trying to figure out is there a way for me to not have to rely on Apple to promote this <laughs> show or to mm -hmm. to have it even be known to exist. So, do you see that trade off as being one that's realistic, or, or and one that is that? Do you see that counter argument as being one that's like I understand why people would buy into the Spotify system. But it's still bad in in the aggregate. I think that that makes a ton of sense. And like this gets to a kind of feeling that I have about my own take here, which is that it is a little bit elitist. It's a little bit mm. like, I like it the way that it is because it's been this way for so long. And it's like been this cute little corner of the internet that I feel like is good and passes my vibe check. Mm. Whereas in reality, if we're looking at podcasts as like a really subjective creative business perspective, the fact that it's all word of mouth is a problem. The fact that like there is no single place to have dynamically inserted advertisements is a problem. The fact that like, you know, if you have fewer than, you know, maybe 5,000 downloads per episode, it's really hard to get anyone to take you seriously enough to for you to make the, you know, maybe 100, 200, $250 an episode you might be making otherwise. That money's real, but because there's so much sort of administrative cost to serve ads on any content, that it it sort of like is prohibitive to to serve to smaller podcasts, and so the long tail doesn't get monetized the way that it does on YouTube. Those are all real things, and I think like those are all indicative of you know the the kinds of reasons why Spotify might have a real value proposition here. Mm. And the other thing is like, I, I always try to, to emphasize that what creators want isn't, we don't tend to be thinking about making money first. We tend to be thinking about reaching audience. And that's not to say that money doesn't matter. It's to say that audience is the path to like sustainability of your content. So I think a thing to really keep an eye on is how effective Spotify gets at figuring out how to serve audience to new content that isn't getting it already. Mm. You know, this is really why people are on YouTube because YouTube is where the eyeballs are. That's yeah. the competitive advantage of YouTube, even beyond monetization, is I get to make content and YouTube will send new people to my content if I make good stuff. And that right now is not a thing that podcasts have and is a thing that, you know, aside from sort of that, you know, the, the charts on Apple or the, the front page of Apple podcasts. And that's something that I think is really uh, potentially very valuable. What do you think can be done at this point in time to improve the lot of creators if, if it does feel like a Spotify and a monopoly ends up feeling inevitable. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about unions? Like, uh, do we, are we talking about co collective like power? Like how, what, what would you, what would you say it's a good path forward? Well, I think there's two advantages here. One is that, you know, compared to a YouTube or a TikTok or something, podcast creators are older and smart, like 
I'm, I don't want to say smarter, but like have more experience. Like yeah. in, in general, they've had their average... hardest broken a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like your average TikToker is probably under 20. And so like those people maybe don't have the same amount of, um, you know, expertise and awareness of the value that they bring. So I think that there is a certain possibility there that podcasters will be able to more effectively leverage the, the power that they do have over platforms. And I think that the other thing is that they do have that power, whereas on some platforms that are big deals right now, creators don't have a ton of ways to reach their audiences that aren't on that platform and that aren't controlled by that platform. TikTok is the best example of this, where you know if you don't post something that's like big, like designed to get audience, and it just reaches your people, it's not going to reach very many people. And Facebook is a similar thing where you basically have to pay to reach your own audience mm. oftentimes. But I think that podcasters really tend to have a much deeper relationship with their audience and so can leverage that audience to um, help them control the platforms that they're engaging with. We've, you know, I've also seen this to help them control their own content and the media companies that might own it, despite the fact that it might feel like the podcast creators own it because they did all the work in creating it. But, Mm. you know, a media company owns it. And I think that the audience oftentimes feels like, you know, their relationship is with you. It's not with Earwolf and it's not with BuzzFeed. It's, you know, it's with you, not with, what's the one? Barstool. Oh boy. Oh boy. So figuring (laughs) that dynamic out and creating an ecosystem that allows for it and that understands it hasn't happened yet. And I think that it needs to happen. Hmm. Where feels most like home to you right now? Where feels most like home to me? Yeah. What a fucking awesome question. Especially because like my town feels less like home because I don't see it that much anymore. Oh God. Am I am I I don't know. I feel I feel very alienated from Twitter because it's so makes me pretty anxious. I feel more alienated from from YouTube. But like, I guess I'd say that my, like my YouTube channel still is the place that feels like home, like the vlog mm. where there's YouTube channel. That's where the people are who I've been making content with for the last almost 15 years now. And, and I think that that probably will always feel a little bit like home to me. Yeah. It's kind of like if you can preserve your block in a bustling city, yeah. you're fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. YouTube as a whole does not feel like home, but, um, mm. but there are definitely parts of it that do. Hank, we usually end uh, with podcast recommendations. What are you listening to? Mm. That kind of thing. Uh, but you have a book coming out. You want to start with that? Uh, so first I will plug the book and say that because I love podcasts, there are podcasts in the book, like excerpts <laughs> from podcasts um, where like characters are being interviewed. And we recorded those as if they are podcasts for the audiobook, which I'm very excited about and like a lot. But that's not technically a podcast. Um, it's, for example... It costs money. You have to buy it. (laughs) Um, I've been listening to this podcast called Meddling Adults. It's fairly new and it's like friends and they try to solve the mysteries from old like middle grade detective novels. So like, (laughs) uh, like, like Encyclopedia Brown was the first episode, I think. Um, And so there's the, there are these dumb mysteries and Encyclopedia Brown, like, but like they use all, all different kinds of uh, young adult and, and middle grade 
mystery novels, but they like set it up for you. And then like they try to have the hosts actually figure out what this like genius detective in the story figured out. <laughs> it's very fun. I also don't, have you ever listened to Dr. Game Show? Yes, I have. Actually. Oh God, I love it so much. <laughs> It is it is really out there. Like I it's so it's, out there. <laughs> uh Hank, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, thank you very much. Server the Pod is written and hosted by me, Nick Kwa. You can check out more episodes at alias.com slash servantofpod. Web design by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Logo and branding by Leo G. Thanks to the team at Elias Studios, including Kristen Hayford, Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Muller, and Leo G. Servant of Pod is a production of Elias Studios. <laughs>